Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is November 3rd. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over some of my general thoughts about the team. Of course, the trade deadline just passed. So with that in mind, we do have some news in regards to that. And then I'm just going to be giving my general thoughts about the team because right now there is a lot of frustration going around. Some of it is rooted in the performance from last week. Some of it is rooted in how the Dolphins handled the Deshaun Watson situation and this recent trade deadline. All of that is going to be discussed in today's episode. But first, we're going to begin with the news about the trade deadline. The Dolphins elected not to make any moves at the trade deadline. That means they traded away no players. And they also acquired zero players. So, of course, that's important because the big name here was Deshaun Watson. It was a narrative that's been looming around for months and will likely continue to be around here up until the offseason. That's just the reality of the situation. So, the outcome with the Dolphins not making a move for Deshaun Watson is one that I think the majority of people were rooting for. So with that in mind, you would expect people, okay, to be happy with this idea that they didn't go after Deshaun Watson. But the reality is a lot of people might be more mad that it didn't happen because of how the Dolphins ended up handling this whole situation. So there were all the reports saying the Dolphins were no longer in on Deshaun Watson for now. The legal issues were just too much. They weren't able to squeeze it in by the deadline. And everyone's like, okay, good. We can celebrate now. Finally, this is going to be off our backs for a little bit. But then there was a report, and it came out. Ian Rappaport tweeted, Stephen Ross received permission to speak with Deshaun Watson, but only last night. As complicated as a deal as this is, there just wasn't enough time. Now, if you reflect back over the course of the past few weeks, we've seen Brian Flores go to the presser time and time again, stand up there at the podium and say, Tua is our quarterback. Tua is our quarterback. But people were kind of seeing through it, and they knew there was some interest with Deshaun Watson. Well, this is just the absolute proof needed that you have your head coach out there at the podium on a weekly basis, sometimes several times in a week, saying Tua is our quarterback, Tua is our quarterback. But then at the end of the day, the owner of the team is on the phone the night before the trade deadline trying to work out a deal to get him replaced. What is that saying? I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, should Tua request a trade, things like that. And at the end of the day, I mean, Tua is a really nice guy. He's handled all of this with absolute class. He's been, you know, as stand-up of a professional as you could hope for, even though he is still, you know, a pretty young guy. He's been relatively mature about this entire ordeal. But I'm surprised that either nobody from his camp, I guess outside of the trainer, maybe, you know, I'm surprised a family member didn't come out and speak out against this because at this point, it's just bordering on blatant disrespect to the guy. This is a guy that you're supposed to see as a franchise quarterback, whether you do or not. I mean, it's only been a year. You drafted him in the top five of the draft, and you're over here saying that he's a franchise quarterback. It was disrespectful when Cliff Kingsbury did that with Josh Rosen, but even this is on just a completely different level. Now, if things couldn't get uh, couldn't have gotten worse, then there was a report courtesy of Chris Berman, who does reporting, or Mark Berman, I should say, for the Texans, and he uh, you know, posted a statement that was released by Tony Busby, who's the attorney for the 22 women who filed civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson, and to read this, I'll read it in its entirety. It says, quote, Miami or Houston or wherever he goes, it doesn't change our case. 
Bottom line was, apparently, at some point, the Dolphins wanted 22 settlements. I made it clear after talking to my clients that that wasn't going to happen, and they lowered that number. I made that clear that wasn't going to happen. Watson's team was trying to sell the Dolphins on some lower number, and I think that never came to pass. And then someone asked, well, what about the non-disclosure agreements your clients were asked to sign? And he said, I don't know if it came from Watson or if it came from the Dolphins. I don't know where it came from, but there was an insistence of a very, very robust non-disclosure agreement, and we pushed back on that very hard. For some of the women, that was a deal breaker. On other women, it was the compensation. Everyone was different, but there were some insistent on a non-disclosure agreement. I don't care if he gets traded or not. It's really not my thing. Obviously, there was a lot of effort on their part to get the case settled so there could be a trade apparently. I'm assuming at some some point that will come about again. Time is on my side. I'm just going to continue to pursue the case, continue to do my due diligence on the case, and start preparing for hopefully a trial, close quote. So, Again, you read this, there isn't a direct, you know, factual claim that the Dolphins are over here trying to silence the women, but that is definitely implied to some degree. And again, this is coming from a lawyer. You could say that maybe this isn't necessarily accurate, but you have to give it at least some degree of legitimacy that it's coming out in this way. So again, this wouldn't be anything that's mind-blowing, right? This is something that has happened in the past. It will likely happen in the future, but at the end of the day, this doesn't doesn't make it right by any means. Having this kind of power dynamic, this imbalance of power, whether it's because of somebody having a higher title or a higher position or them being more financially well off that allows them to kind of buy the silence after they manipulate and take advantage of people who aren't in as good enough of a position, either again financially or in a high enough position to stand up for themselves. That's something that's archaic. It's something that's been going on for a very long time, but that does not make it right. And I think more and more, you know, in terms of modern times, we're seeing people drift away from that, recognize how wrong it is and hold those people people who are in power more accountable. But when you're having something like this come to light, you know, again, it's still up in the air whether how true it is, but this is not a good look at all. It's something that if it doesn't happen tomorrow, you would hope at least soon in the next coming days, the Dolphins or Stephen Ross, somebody comes out here and issues a statement, whether it's a statement of apology or just a statement of clarity to really give a closer look in detail what the thought process is. Because right now, there is a lot of fans who are very angry about this entire situation, willing to turn away from the Dolphins as an entire as an entire team. And frankly, you know, it's hard to make the argument why they shouldn't at this point because the team has been incompetent on the field now for decades. That has been the reality of how the team's been playing. But when it starts drifting over into stuff that is off the field, then it becomes too much. And a lot of people are saying maybe Stephen Ross should just, you know, sell the team. Maybe he should just, you know, just completely fire everybody on the staff. And frankly, how could you argue against it at this point? The team right now is probably in a state that's worse than it has been in the last few decades, and that's saying a lot. So again, hopefully something in the next few days comes out. Right now, it just seems like a whole bunch of disarray. Here you have a franchise quarterback that's been, you know, you could argue whether or not he's been great enough on the field, but in terms of how he's handled this entire situation, just utmost class when it comes to how Tua's handled this whole situation. But on the opposite side, you have 
have complete incompetence both on the field from the coaching staff and then, you know, uh, in terms of the front office and how they've handled everything from the roster, everything to these uh, rumors about Deshaun Watson, just complete, just incompetence with all of that. And I can understand completely why fans are very frustrated. Now, I do also want to give some thoughts about, uh, you know, a lighter notes about the trade deadline. I was very shocked to see the Dolphins not make any other sort of moves. I was definitely expecting them to make a move for a running back here. Whether it was a guy like Marlon Mack or not, I think Marlon Mack, the fact that he is still a member of the Indianapolis Colts, is completely shocking when you consider around the entire league how some of these guys' running backs have been going down. The fact that he remains a member of the Colts on a pretty deep somewhat group of running backs over there. That's quite a bit shocking and I'm shocked that Miami wasn't in the mix here to make a move. I'm also slightly shocked that Devontae Parker did not get traded to another team. The fact that he is still here of course is going to help the Dolphins for this immediate season but then uh, if you're looking ahead towards the future you know it's kind of one of those instances where you know when he's healthy when he's on the field he's a guy who can provide an instant impact but at this point the fact that he's injured so much just seems like it's part of what you sign up for with Devontae Parker, and I think that's kind of already ran its course, and I could understand if the Dolphins want to move away from him. Apparently, that is not going to happen until this offseason, though. Same thing with Xavier Howard. He's a guy who could have been moved, I thought, but it ended up not happening. Again, both of those are moves that are going to help more for the immediate future, but if this was a team that is looking forward towards the future, I mean, this season is done. Might as well look towards the future. I'm not necessarily sure hanging on to these guys in terms of the long-term success makes a whole bunch of sense, but I guess you can make a decent argument for it. Now, to go over some of my notes uh, from last week's game, the first one that I want to talk about is Tua Tungavailoa, and I really want to emphasize that I just mentioned Tua's handled everything off the field with utmost class. He's been an absolutely tremendous guy. On top of that, the circumstances he's had to deal with on the field have been downright terrible. The offensive line has been atrocious all season. One thing that's been becoming more and more apparent every single week is how the play calling and just the overall design of some of these plays is really bad. A lot of the routes are extremely short, and not only that, but it seems like they all seem to diverge into one area, which is completely ludicrous. You see three guys end up on the same area of the field, which shouldn't be a thing. That's not any sort of basic route concept, yet it continuously happens with the Dolphins, and then he's had to deal with a fair share of injuries. So with that in mind, he had two very solid games, I thought, uh, probably better than average against the Falcons and against the Jaguars, but again, if you're asking me how he performed in this last game against the Buffalo Bills, again, this isn't a knock on him as a person, but I would say at best it was average, and if you remove that one completion of Mike Kosicki, it would have been hard for me to say that it was even average. It was not the greatest game I I thought from Tua Tungavailoa. And again, I know people think because I recorded that one episode back way in the offseason where I said Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback. And for whatever reason, people refuse to compartmentalize that one statement. And they took that as me hating Tua. I really want to clear it up. I mean, if you really want to know, I have several hundred dollars worth of Tua merch. I can't remember a pick that I've been that excited about since Tua, but at the end of the day, I think people have been completely, entirely too sensitive when it comes to people critiquing Tua. It's fine to critique somebody and still support them. Just because there's areas of his game, like if you're asking me something that I think is a legitimate concern with Tua is his arm strength. I know that's going to anger a lot of people to hear, but I 
think when it comes to throwing those out routes or throwing passes that require velocity in a window that is beyond 10 yards down the field, it's a legitimate concern in my eyes because it looks too long to get there. Now, that isn't a knock on his touch passes and his ability to read the field per se, but just in terms of the physical ability to get the ball there quick, I am a little bit concerned about that. And I think we saw that a little bit more, uh, far too often against the Bills. When you go up against a team like the Buffalo Bills, you have to be aggressive. You know you're going to be behind at some point. You have to push the ball down the field. And I know the offensive line was bad. I know the play calling was bad. But at the end of the day, the entire offense wasn't able to move the ball down the field. And when you are the quarterback of a team, inherently, you are going to get some of the blame if your team is unable to move the ball down the field. So I do think Tua at best had an average game. And I think that might even be a little bit of a homer of me to say in that game. I think it might have been a little bit below average in that game. But overall, you know, I still think he's still a young quarterback. He can still prove a little bit. His ability in the short game to make accurate passes into tight windows and connect on those slant routes has always been his stronger suit. Maybe if there's opportunities for them to kind of open up the field more and experiment a little bit and drift away from this vanilla offense, he could show a little bit more for sure. But after this game, this is not going to be a one that I stand out here and I just, you know, wave my pom-poms and say, yeah, he was absolutely magnificent and everything else failed him. I think in this game, he could have been better, and I'm not going to spin that in any other way. Now, one play in particular that you may remember from last week's game, and if you remember from two weeks ago, this may sound familiar, but the Dolphins were in Bill's territory. Right before the half, worst case scenario, you have to come away with three points. You have to come away with three points. That should be the absolute worst case scenario. But the Miami Dolphins continuously redefine what worst case scenario is to me because I didn't even think that fumble that happened when the Dolphins were driving into Bill's territory was even possible. But the moment it happened, I said, of course, it makes absolute sense. The Dolphins came out of a timeout, out of a timeout. And for whatever reason, they were confused about where to line up. Mike Kosicki was signaling Jalen Waddle over. Everything was chaotic. You knew something bad was about to happen. Mike Kosicki then goes in motion. The ball is snapped while he's crossing over the center. Of course, it's not a jet sweep because he's just jogging around. The ball is snapped into Mike Kosicki. The ball is then fumbled, recovered by the Buffalo Bills. That, to me, is not just, you know, incompetence about the players not knowing where to be and all of that stuff, but in terms of the coaching, stuff like that should not be happening. This offensive coordinator, the two offensive coordinator system is obviously not working. I'm surprised the guys haven't been fired just to uh, make a statement that this is unacceptable, but at this point, something needs to be done. Because this, again, is unacceptable, at least on the bright side for the rest of the season. There aren't necessarily expectations to meet. So if the Dolphins elect to just air it out and play with absolutely nothing to lose, I think more people would be happy with that. Kind of that same mentality when you saw Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of just slinging it around in 2019. We knew the team wasn't going to be able to compete, but watching him go out there and just throw the ball around, I would love to see Tua go out there with that same mindset. So guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up today's episode. Just a quick little episode. Of course, I will be back in the week when we get to the preview portion of this week's game against the Houston Texans. But overall, this is how I'm going to wrap up today's episode. I would love to know what you guys think. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. That is at ShadySteven and at via the source. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. It would mean a lot and I greatly do appreciate it when you guys do that. Uh, as always, thank you guys for all the support and that's how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso and this was via the source.